I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, welcome to episode 14 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Thank you so much for listening and downloading. Remember, if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or go on our iTunes page, give us a star rating, leave a comment and help to spread the word of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Remember, you can contact me through social media. We are on Twitter. The Twitter name is at KF Movie Guide. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to send me an email, the email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Thank you for listening and downloading this episode 14 of the podcast. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. There, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world, Foo followers, thank you again for joining me. My name is Ben Johnson. This is my podcast. We've got a director's special for you on episode 14. We've got two young, up-and-coming, London-based film directors, uh, both of which have got martial arts movies to their name. First up is Matthias Hona. Uh, he is the director of this new movie called Enter the Warrior's Gate. It's a big French-Chinese co-production. There's a lot of big names attached to this movie. It's just got released in America. It had its Chinese release uh, last year, uh, where it was just under the name uh, Warrior's Gate. Uh, it's now been retitled for America. It's called Enter the Warrior's Gate. It's just been released there. It's written by Luke Besson and Robert Mark Heyman. Uh, Robert wrote the original script to The Karate Kid, uh, but he's worked with Luke Besson uh, quite a bit uh, for his Europa Core production company. He's worked on The Fifth Element and the Taken films and the Transporter films as well. Uh, Matthias's movie is a sort of fantasy, martial arts, epic uh, adventure, time-travelling comedy movie. There's lots of elements to it. Uh, Dave Bautista's in it as the bad guy. Uh, Uriah Shalton uh, plays the young boy at the centre of the story. But it's also got a great Chinese cast too. So people like Nini, uh, Mark Chow, Francis Ong, and Kara Wei as well, who uh, crops up in one of the scenes as well. You can watch Enter the Warrior's Gate now exclusively on directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Matthias has uh, a very interesting backstory. He was born in Singapore. Uh, he grew up in East Berlin when it was still East Berlin. Uh, and he now works and lives in London. It was great to spend some time talking to him about his new movie, Enter the Warrior's Gate, and what that was like, uh, you know, trying to handle a big French-Chinese co-production, particularly when you don't uh, speak French or uh, Mandarin or Cantonese. So uh, that is uh, <laughs> an interesting predicament uh, to be in. Uh, and it's only his second movie as well. He His first movie... 
um, was a film called Cockneys versus Zombies, uh, which was sort of low budget comedy horror uh, that came out in 2012 and was quite successful here as well. So uh, that's exciting. And my second guest, I sit down and talk to the great James Nunn. His career has blossomed and he has directed uh, movies like Tower Block, which came out in 2012. That was a British thriller starring uh, uh, with a great cast, people like Sheridan Smith, Jack O'Connell, Russell Tovey were all involved in that movie. But he has also worked with the great Scott Adkins on two titles so far. He directed Green Street 3, Never Back Down, that came out in 2013, that starred Scott. And last year, he directed the film Eliminators, which starred Scott Adkins. Uh, that was one of the best uh, fight films of 2016, in my opinion. Uh, that was the first film James did under contract for WWE Studios, uh, and that featured the wrestler Wade Barrett. And more recently, uh, James has just released the film The Marine 5 Battleground, um, so check that one out. That's just come out and that's got a whole host of WWE wrestlers in it as well. And I visited James in South London uh, and we got to hang out and have a nice long conversation. So there you go. Uh, any aspiring filmmakers out there, you've got uh, two great very talented uh, British-based film directors coming up on today's show. So there's lots to look forward to there and I hope you enjoy that. There's a few things that have been uh, kicking around the internet that I just wanted to bring up. It was announced last week that um, Shannon Lee was producing a brand new Bruce Lee biopic. This film is going to be called Little Dragon and it's going to outline Bruce Lee's formative years growing up in Hong Kong. So this is interesting. This is going to be the new movie from Shannon Lee's own production company called Bruce Lee Enterprises. Uh, and there is a director attached to this as well. The Indian director Shekhar Kapoor is going to direct this. He's a famed Hindi director. He also did the Elizabeth films uh, starring Kate Blanchett. Uh, so a very prolific filmmaker, a great name to be attached to this title. The film starts shooting in July in Malaysia. There's an article about this on the Variety website, so you can go on there and check out and read up some more information uh, about this new biopic. Shanna Lee said, uh, I'm just quoting from that article, I always thought that a film about how my father's life was shaped in his early years in Hong Kong would be a worthwhile story to share so we could better understand him as a human being and a warrior. There you go. So that's um, a quote there from Shannon. Um, there's a film that's already out there which does deal with the same subject matter that I just wanted to flag up because when I read about this um, film that they're making, uh, it did remind me of a movie called Young Bruce Lee. It's also known as Bruce Lee, My Brother, which I believe came out in 2010, something like that. Uh, this is based on a book by Bruce Lee's brother, Robert Lee. And it's actually a pretty decent movie. Uh, it's a little bit saccharine. It's a bit highly romanticised in bits, but I guess it's no more romanticised than, say, Dragon the Bruce Lee story was. That was the... Uh 
authorised Hollywood uh, version of Bruce's life story, which they made in 1993, so quite a a while ago now. Um, But if you haven't seen Young Bruce Lee or Bruce Lee, My Brother, then I I, I would uh, suggest you go and check that out. I actually think that's a pretty decent uh, uh, account of Bruce Lee's early life. Look, there's so many Bruce Lee biopics uh, (laughs) out there, and uh, you do wonder whether, obviously, this was Shannon's uh, attempt to sort of readdress the whole Birth of a Dragon controversy that happened last year. Uh, That movie, which I believe got shown at a couple of film festivals and it was sort of universally uh, slated, this is the Hollywood uh, version of the Bruce Lee encounter with the uh, Shaolin Kung Fu master Wong Jack Man, which was a real-life event, uh, and they made a movie about that. But it seems to have been suppressed and there's certainly no DVD release or it hasn't been released uh, distributed too widely on any of the streaming services either so that's interesting in itself Uh, I'd love to watch Birth of a Dragon if anyone has actually got round to seeing it then do drop me an email I'd love to know what it's like Uh, the email address as always is hello at kungfumovieguide.com so there you go that's a new Bruce Lee biopic that's coming out so that's very exciting I also wanted to offer my personal congratulations to the UK martial artist Zara Fifian. Uh, Zara has just been named Woman of the Year at the British Martial Arts Awards 2017. So many congratulations, Zara. Zara is an upcoming guest on the podcast. Zara runs a couple of schools in the UK. Uh, She's appeared in a few UK movies and she also appeared as part of the ensemble Zealots cast in Doctor Strange. I know that she's got lots of new projects in the pipeline, which is all really exciting, but I just wanted to say congratulations to Zara. She's an inspiration for many people, uh, and she was a great uh, person to sit down and have an interview with, uh, which is coming up in a future episode of the podcast. Before we get on to the interviews, there's a couple of other events that I just wanted to flag up quickly. Uh, The East Winds Film Festival returns. That actually starts today, uh, and it runs all week. Uh, This is the only East Asian Film Festival outside of London uh, and it's the first one of its kind in the Midlands. It's not just martial arts uh, films that they show at the East Winds Film Festival, they also show comedies, dramas, fantasies, horror movies as well uh, and from a range of countries. So there's movies representing Thailand and Hong Kong, the Philippines, Vietnam, Taiwan, Uh, South Korea, uh, China. Um, There's a real uh, range of movies that are being shown at this year's East Winds Film Festival. It went away for a few years, but it's just returned, which is great to see. And I've just noticed that they've got Swordmaster um, showing as part of the programme that is produced by Choi Hark and directed by Derek Yee. It came out last year, uh, and this is the first uh, 3D premiere of this movie, so that's very exciting indeed. You can go to eastwindsfilmfest.com to check out the full programme and also get tickets. Uh, but that's happening right now. That film festival is happening this week, so go online and check that out. 
Also, it's Comic-Con time here in London. The MCM Comic-Con returns. Uh, There's a lot of great guests there this year, including, of course, Scott Adkins. So Scott's going to be there, which is great. Uh, But also Donnie Yen is going to be in London for the Comic-Con. You can log on to the website mcmcomiccon.com to get your tickets. I just had a look. There's still some tickets available, which is great. It runs from the 26th to the 28th of May. I intend on visiting, so uh, if you do see me, just uh, give us a wave. As always, if you do have any feedback regarding this podcast or maybe any future guests that you'd like to see or maybe you've just got a question that you want to ask, uh, anything at all, remember you can always contact me on hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, here we go. There's a lot to pack into today's show, so let's uh, let's get on with it. Uh, Matthias Hohner. Um, this conversation was one of those press junket PR calls uh, where you're quite strict on time. Uh, so this is a sort of short and snappy interview with Matthias. Uh, it's focusing mostly on the movie Enter the Warrior's Gate. As I say, that's the American title for the film. You may know the movie is simply Warrior's Gate. It came out last year in China. So there's uh, quite a bit of feedback on this movie already on the Internet. But now we can listen to... The film's director, Matthias Honer. Let's talk a bit about the the movie then, which is just getting its uh, US release. Um, so this film has been; it's already had its Chinese release, hasn't it? Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. How did the movie go down in China? Is it has it been received quite well? And I know it's also been released in France as well. I think. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think um, people who saw the movie liked it. I think um, there was a little bit. I think we all caught up in um, um, in the current experiment of, um, of the Western movie makers and the Eastern movie makers trying to make movies together, and everyone trying to figure out how it works um, in terms of not. Um, you know, I think what um, everyone's sort of realizing is by trying to do something in the middle, you end up appealing by neither one of the markets. And I think, um, I think, um, uh, you know, I think everyone's tr- doing val- trying valiant efforts of um, of making films that kind of mix the cultures. And I think, um, you know, it's it's sort of um, good for art that it's happening. I feel. Um, yeah. I think it's very complicated because you know um, the. You know the uh, the mainland Chinese market is is um, you know is very particular about what they like, and sometimes you know you cast say an Asian um, Asian-born American, they they sort of don't really um, you know they don't they like almost like that sort of casting less than casting a white American, sure. and you know, and then um, vice versa when you um, when you cast um, Asian actors that um, to um, to play in English, you have a very sort of small kind of pool of actors who can actually speak English and, and English well enough to um, to make it fun to, to watch. And um, it's kind of complicated, so... <laughs> yeah. So I think... Um, but you, you, had, know, you had some big Chinese stars like Nini and, um, you know, Mark Chow, Francis Ong, like they're, they're big names in, in China. So, it was, so, so I guess the Chinese audience must have... You know, they, they were familiar faces there, so they must have been received quite well, I'd imagine. 
Yeah, yeah, no, totally. You know what? We had a we had a huge premiere in Beijing, and you know yeah. it was like um, a typical Chinese affair. Like we don't have them anymore in the West, where you know we were all flown in um, first class and had like a, a penthouse in the in the Hyatt, um, and then a big red carpet and lots of Chinese interviews, all in Chinese language, none of which I understood, but um, tried to do sure. my best to keep up with, and. Um, <laughs> And you know, you know, it was a lot of fun to be honest. And I think, um, um, you know, I, 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 you know, everyone's happy with um, with the film. So that's, that's yeah, good. yeah. Good and now you're going through that process again as it's coming out in America, and you know, you've got the whole yeah. all the press junkets and all that sort of stuff. Is this this must feel like quite a far cry from you know Cockneys versus Zombies a few years back, <laughs> which. Uh, <laughs> you know, was a much smaller scale budget, wasn't it, compared to, to this movie. Um, I'm just intrigued, I mean, as a director, when you're doing a movie for a couple of million dollars and then you're doing a movie for, you know, 30, 40 million dollars, um, from your point of view, what are the main issues, the differences that, uh, that are involved in that and how have you had to adapt your own sort of directing style, I guess, to, to accommodate that? Well, I think um, really when you um, whatever, but I mean, first of all, the rule of budgets is simple. Whatever budget you have, it's never enough. <laughs> yeah. Whether that's you know two hundred thousand, two million, twenty million, it's never quite enough. But um, sure. um, and then so that's the first rule. And the second one is really um, you know, whatever scale you have in terms of um, I you know, actors, um, extras, sets, camera kit. You know, at the end of the day, it's still about the two or three actors that are in foreground, um, you know, talking to each other or interacting with each other. So, you know, um, the, all that changes is the kind of size of the circus around it, I guess. Um, mm. But it doesn't really change the focus on on the characters, um, you know, the main characters that you're dealing with. And, you know, uh, and then on the other hand, um, um, you know, making a movie... Um, you know, I, I, I was born in Singapore. I, I grew up in Berlin. I lived in London for a long time now. I've on, only worked in London and America, really. But then to, um, you go off and make a film with a French producer, American writer, Chinese team, uh, and then a French kind of team on top of that. Um, it gets really complicated in terms of communication. You are the Black Knight. In the game world, I'm the Black Knight. In this world, I'm Jack Bronson. I need you to guard the most precious treasure of the Empire. Excuse me? Come on, let's go. Welcome, Jack. I'm stuck here. There's no other way out. So how did you get involved in this project then? Had they seen your work before and then someone put your name forward? Or um, how did yeah how did you get involved? Because obviously it's Luke Besson's um, company. As you say, it's a big European-Chinese co-production. You know, um, after Cockneys, I wanted to do, you know, because my first film was kind of exactly the wrong thing. You, the thing you should not do when you make a small-budget movie. You know, you should not have five people, main cast, hundreds of extras, um, battled yeah. by the boat, scenes on water, crashing yeah. um, buses, um, and, 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 and machine gun battles. I wanted to make something a little bit smaller scale next, but with, with, with a bigger budget so I could really focus on um, showing what I, what I could sort of 
do when I had the time to do it properly or to do you know to really um um you know it's really not just sort of fight against um the schedule every day which is kind of what you have yeah. to do on a, a low budget movie um it happened that Luke Besson was looking for a director with a european you know a european director who um had experience in comedy action and visual effects and you know he saw um Cockney's versus zombies and you know really it's to me that's an action adventure with zombies or a cockney adventure with zombies how i call it so when you know when i received the script of course when i was at the um berlin film festival at the time and um a couple of chinese movies were winning awards there and i um kind of opened the email and i read the sort of cover page and it said you know um uh, warriors gate by um luke besong and robert Kamen. of course you know you kind of um i got very excited because both of those um are legendary producers writers directors yeah. you know um and you know i like it, it reminded me of um the kind of movies i watched um on vhs in berlin that kind of made me want to become a filmmaker like um the crazy um a chinese ghost story by um chui ha yeah. or um hero by chang Mo, um yeah. or you know um the 36th chamber of shaolin by the yeah. shaw brothers so were you channeling those types of films when you were make, making this then? There are nods to Hero in the movie. You can you can see that stylistically in things. I'm just wondering, what were your touch points? Um, in terms of references, you know, um, we went, for example, to one of the backlot studios where Hero was shot. And um, yeah. it's kind of this epic um, palaces that were built 20 years ago for $20 million and you know, I used it for a few shots, and it's sort of the reason I could make the movie for the budget because there were those backlot sets that you I could um, yeah. work with. You know, they even have a one-to-one copy of the um, Forbidden City only for filming, so um, you can wow. okay. use that as a backlot set. But, you know, you, they're massive, and there's always a lot of yeah. films and TV series filming there. So it's kind of something we've lost in the West. Um, we don't have huge backlogs like that anymore. This is a big martial arts film. I'm just wondering, I mean, are you a fan of the genre and are you noticing that there's still a lot of stories that can be told using this um, device? I used to watch um, ninja movies on VHS yeah. um, when I was like 12. And then my friend and me would go and make our own Molotov cocktails and throw them over the Berlin Wall into the death zone, trying to set off the anti-personal minds um, that was we were told were there. And we were actually um, never quite tall enough to throw the Molotov cocktails high enough um, at the time. But um, we were dressed up as ninjas. And, um, and then, I, uh, you know, we all, we all did ninjutsu, and uh, I did also did judo and a little bit of... Um, Kung Fu, uh, as sort yeah. of as um, myself, and then I was very excited when um, um, the resurgence of mainland China cinema scene kind of gave people like um, Chui Hawk, uh, you know, um, the financial backing to make bigger and bigger movies. Yeah, it's sort of it's given them a new it's a new lease of life, which is encouraging. It's good to see, isn't it? Absolutely, and you know, I, I was very happy to you know to have Kara Wai in in the movie as well in a small as the Mountain Witch in a small um, cameo role, really, because I was a big fan of her, and you know, mm. I think um, I, I mean, I think there is there is a, some a, a niche. I mean, I think there's more one can could do in martial arts movies. It's sort of the um, 
the complicated thing, of course, is that um, there hasn't been a real big cinematic martial arts movie of late, mm. and that's kind of that's a shame. My bride. I hope you like your new palace. And in two days' time, you will take your place next to me. Of course, your throne will be much lower. I would rather die! Whatever makes you happy, my dear. I think um, having been there and having gone through the filming experience, which was really, really difficult, you know, because really um, the, you can't point, or I couldn't point to anyone who had done a co-production with China before and come back with a decent film. There was literally mm -hmm. no role model to kind of go, oh, they, they managed to do it. I think it's a real um, kind is of Is that difficult... because, why do you think that is? Is it just because, you know, you're, you're trying to um, t tick so many boxes and please so many different markets? Yeah, I certainly think, um, by tr you know, you try to, by, by trying to please too many people and you get into lots of complicated, you know, positions where you can't, cast certain people or, you know, do certain storylines, mm. it becomes very complicated. Um, but also, I think, um, and, uh, you know, by being in a, in a place where you don't know, you know, the movie industry is really complicated, um, even in, in its simplest form, you know, but when you're in, in an environment where you don't know, you know, if what you've been promised is actually what you're going to get, and, um, you know, mm. whether, you know, when you ask for 200 extras to be only 50 or 500 or you know you're never quite sure what you um what you will um what will happen on set you know and i think it's sort of um it's quite complicated to at first um sort of go through that and also the the sort of um asia the chinese um you know way of of um, doing business and talking is always um to never quite actually say what's going on so you're always sort of a little bit in the dark <laughs> um sure, sure. it's complicated when you have to put together you know a big fantasy period action movie yeah um yeah well there's a lot of moving parts to it isn't there and that's equally there's you you've got your action scenes so then obviously there's the the comedy there's a quite touching uh romance element to the the film as well and yeah and i guess you're you're constantly like um trying to balance between um you know, just having a, a balance of all those different elements, really, aren't you? Exactly, and I think that's kind of, it's, it's sort of very um, perceptive that you're putting your finger on that, because that's really the, the most difficult thing about this movie. I mean, to, to even to just balance out um, the kind of the tone between uh, the Western actors, Asian actors, you know, a semi-period setting, but sort of a fantasy setting, really, um, action comedy, all of those things, um, and and I guess that's kind of what I learned on Cockneys versus Zombies, which is also totally very complex in terms of yeah. having action, horror, drama, um, you know, as sort of, and then comedy beats kind of mixing so quickly in succession that they kind mm. of realize in the edit suite, oh, I should have just done a thriller as my, my sort of <laughs> first film. Thrillers are easy, totally, you, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but, um, and you can just keep find the tone and stick to it. But you clearly have, um, you know, an ear for comedy as well. Yeah, I guess, I guess. It's sort of, it's funny because when you know when when I met Luke Besson, he said to me, "I'm in tears. I only have one concern about you." I said, "What is it? What is it?" And I was very nervous. He goes, "Your your humour 
too british i don't like it <laughs> or i'm worried about it <laughs> and i was like that's great if i'm if i'm german and i managed to fool you with my british humor then yeah. i think um i can definitely do french humor <laughs> <laughs> i mean what, what kind of attracted me to warriors gate was that um even though i feel it's i mean it's not the most original storyline um it, but it reminded me of those kind of 90s movies to me it's like an, a 90s throwback movie and um yeah. and i liked that it had a, a sense of humor about it and wasn't sort of pole-faced you know and it kind of yeah. was very light-hearted and warm and and um i kind of feel for a 90s throwback light-hearted action-packed bit of fun mm. um well it kind you know, of there's shades of like princess bride almost with the storytelling there's elements of that in there when it started i thought oh is this a sort of karate kids kind of set up with the you know the single mom and then the the kid is getting bullied at school and then and then you've got that whole china section which is you know it takes it in another direction then doesn't it so yeah yeah it's definitely i mean um robert Kamen, who did write karate kid um definitely yeah. <laughs> you know use his his sensibilities and you know the last starfighter is in there and um yeah um you know unfortunately uh, too much of forbidden kingdom but um that, you know I yeah i was gonna good. i was gonna say there's definitely a nod there isn't there to uh <laughs> to that you know what i think yeah. um actually have a theory that script was written before forbidden kingdom and i think um i think really? um it was actually written for um 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 what's his name jet lee and i think um yeah Maybe there might have been a little bit of appropriating at the time going on uh, without any. Anyway, um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's fine. That's fine. So going forward then, what's your sort of uh, next role? Are you linked to any more movies that you've got in the pipeline? Yeah, I'm attached to a car chase movie um, about an American DEA agent who goes um, on a mission for revenge and ends up having to drive through the uh, desert, uh, 2,000 miles through the desert in this souped-up Bentley Continental GT, um, chased by the Russians, the CIA, and a group of gold-plated AK-47-wielding super-rich car fanatics. Um, nice. That's sort of something I'm working to package at the moment. And um, then I'm developing, I'm actually developing um, a martial arts movie too, and I want to maybe find a, a different angle of something we haven't seen before, um, especially coming from my experience in Asia now where... Really, I think um, people are sort of desperate to to um, see new things and different things. I feel like over there, um, audiences are a little bit um, don't want to see the same old kind of period martial art movie again. And I think there's sort of there's there's a kind of hunger for someone to reinvent, definitely reinvent the the genre. So you know, yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can do that. Brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, best of luck, Mateus. Thanks for talking to me today. Um, And uh, yeah, best of luck with the movie and its release in America. That's really exciting. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. Bye. There you go. That's some nice new royalty-free Chinese music that I picked up online. Hope you enjoyed that. It's rather nice. Um, and I also hope you enjoyed that chat there with Matthias Hohner. Um, my German is is not very good, so I hope I'm um, saying that name correctly. It was great to talk to Matthias, and we very much look forward to those future projects that Matthias was talking about there. 
uh, particularly that new martial arts movie. Very excited to watch that. Now it's time for James Nunn. Uh, This was really great to sit and talk to James. This initial conversation went on for about two hours, uh, so it has been trimmed down quite a bit. But it was great to catch up with him and learn about his passion for making movies, which is something uh, that has been with him all his life from a very young age. Um, And also we go through uh, the films that he's made so far, which include the British thriller Tower Block and his movies with Scott Adkins. Uh, He directed Green Street 3 which is part of the Green Street football hooligan franchise, which is very popular. And we talk about the great film Eliminators, which came out in 2016. Again, that also stars Scott Adkins. We talk about his opinions on piracy and a lot of the streaming services. Uh, But also uh, we talk about, you know, just how difficult it is to make an action film here in London uh, when particularly when a lot of the police here don't carry weapons Uh, you know it's one of these things that I think when you're watching an American uh, action film that you do sort of take for granted uh, in many ways but how can you make a convincing one here in London uh, particularly when the cops here don't carry guns so it's uh, an interesting conversation I do hope you enjoyed this chat remember you can follow James on Twitter to keep up to date with him and his new movie which i should point out is called the marine five battlegrounds that has just come out in america go and check that one out okay enough from me let's hear my conversation now with the british film director james nunn great to meet you james great to meet you ben (laughs) let's start at the very beginning what are your earliest film memories growing up um so earliest film memory for me is probably jurassic park and that's not strictly true it's not my first film memory but it's definitely the first film that kind of impacted me yeah. on a level higher than just watching a movie sure because obviously as a kid i think i watched a lot of disney movies and I'm pretty sure the first film i saw at the cinema might have been the little mermaid cartoon yeah. or something like that are you, how old are you i'm um, 31 31 yeah. yeah okay my first cinema cinematic memory is the little mermaid oh no way so there you go wow, that's, that's interesting yeah that's amazing yeah <laughs> so um you we must be of some right so, yeah yeah well i'm 32 yeah, yeah. Turn 32 yeah well, that's weird yeah so that's i think the first movie i ever saw at the cinema yeah but sure. the first movie that kind of impacted me was um jurassic park yeah, yeah. and i just sort of i i think something in the audience i was so amazed by you know the creation of dinosaurs sure um and the plot etc that i think it it took me to another level of wow i kind of really want to do this with my life you know a lot of kids want to be uh astronauts or football Football players or whatever yeah and i just was like i want to make dinosaurs or or make movies you know so that That i remember seeing Jurassic park and that was i remember thinking this is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. Dinosaurs are going to come back. Um, were your parents pushing you to do the more academic uh, choices, or were they they could see your enthusiasm for film and have they been supportive? My mum and my dad have always been my, my number one fan. My yeah. mum more so than my dad. My dad's very business minded, but he's a fantastic businessman and sure. um, he's got a very successful company. But my mother has always been. Um, 
study and go into a career of something you love and you're passionate about because you're going to be doing it for 60 years yeah so she was always encouraging yeah. and sort of pushing me to make those decisions from a younger age sure which again sort of is why I went to college and then and then beyond that I went to um, University of Westminster to do film and tv production so you went to film school that must have been quite a uh, quite mind-blowing I guess to then get I guess practical experience as well when you were when you were there and the sort of skills that you were picking up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They had like old, they had cine stuff, they had film stuff, and then you know they had the old film edit Steenbecks, and then they also had the digital setup as well. Sure. So there was a way of learning not just sort of the modern medium, but then also like these old fashioned. Yeah. Um, practices. But were they old fashioned then? Because obviously that would have been. So what years? This is sort of. I guess it was probably two thousand. Two thousand and four to two thousand and seven, yeah. maybe. So the digital, then. everything was moving to digital then, anyway, wasn't it? It really? was. It was happening that time, basically. Yeah, sure. You know, um, movies had certainly been out that were solely digital. Yeah. And there was no like digital was definitely going to happen uh, and be the future because. Uh, you know a lot of dp i remember reading magazines at the time and a lot of dps were like oh, i'm never going to digital yeah staying, i remember that uh, yeah, yeah yeah well there's still some people well, there's still very you know curious like and that's great like i haven't got a problem with either film or digital i love both sure. yeah i think there's you know um reasons for both yeah i think in terms of cost i do think it's probably cheaper for um for digital well, it's opened it up a lot more, hasn't it, I guess, to more aspiring filmmakers to, you know, pick up a digital camera and start, you know, filming stuff. It's sort of, uh, yeah, it's quite, it's, it's better in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Because you can get hold of it's things a way lot more, more um, It's way more accessible to everyone, yeah. which is the great thing um, about it. I do think the education helps in terms of narrative. Yeah. I think a lot of people sort of, and I love, I totally admire the effort and everything that you put into because making a movie, whether you've got a million dollars or whether you've got like a hundred pounds, sure. is still a slog, yeah. you know, and um, there's things that go wrong and often they're very much the same problems, they're just on different scales. Sure. And, you know, but one thing that sort of kind of lacks where you can just grab a camera these days, I don't think the same level of um, commitment goes into the story structure or the stories early enough. Yeah. I think one thing that I probably learned at uni and have learned since is, you know, you might develop something for a year before actually you all read the script and go, wow, this is great. And then you pick back, you go back to the script you thought was amazing a year ago and it's like, oh, wow, can you imagine if we'd have made this? Oh, like, wow, really? This is now 50% better. Yeah. And when you thought you had something great, it probably was great. But if you just continue to, you know, um, make that, stronger you know strengthen that idea it's very rare that and and it's probably the reason that you know when one of these when somebody just grabs a camera and makes a movie um very it's probably like one in a thousand that really end up getting shelf space yeah and that's probably down to the fact that that was the script that was the best uh when they went into production Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. First feature, yeah. feature film, Tower Block. Yes, right. Yeah. So you're working with um, some pretty amazing British acting talent in that. What were the sort of challenges that you were facing on, on, us, on the set? I suppose, um, like, script, as, a, as I've hammered home a couple of times, is kind of where your first challenge, major challenge is. Yeah. You know, am I, you know, and making something quite good. Yeah. And I read, I'd read loads of scripts anyway through first ADing and just through, um, you know, habit and liking reading scripts. Yeah, yeah. And Tower Block was one of the first ones I'd ever been sent that uh, I picked up and I read and I was like, fuck, this is great. Yeah. Um, guy called James Moran wrote it who yeah. who also wrote Cockneys vs Zombies yeah and um, it's very rare that you get that kind of buzz even now like some of the scripts I get sent which are, are written by real pros I read and I'm just like mm, I'm not really connecting really and there was a real connection to Tablock yeah you yeah. know and we were really blessed to have a fantastic cast like, um, cast director called Colin Jones set it up uh, managed to attract Sheridan Smith and Russell Jack Tovey O'Connell. and Jack was actually a really late addition to the cast. Really, yeah. he, attached, he was attached two weeks before we started to film. Sure, we had another actor attached. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm so grateful that that guy fell out and that Jack fell in yeah. because um, Jack's what a great actor is sublime, yeah. you know, and yeah. he's a wonderful actor and he's a fantastic guy. So. Yeah. Wow, um, so that so that's and that was a great project to to be involved in as well. I yeah, you know. it was great, and it was crazy because I was only twenty five, and we made, you know, we we shot it and it, um, we edited it, and the process was quite easy. We had a few pickups um, at the end, um, just to make it even stronger, yeah. and then it it kind of got privately sold to Lionsgate, yeah. and then it went off and got got into some prestigious festivals like it closed Film for Fright Fest in yeah. Leicester Square yeah. and um, it played at Fantastic Fest in Texas and it won an award at Sidges and at various other festivals um, and for your first movie you're like wow like yeah. is it going to be like this every time sure. you know um, you know because it was like a 2000 seat cinema in yeah. Leicester Square which was full yeah all my family were there. We got to go up on stage and introduce the movie. Wow. And uh, one of my director friends came, a guy I used to AD for, and he was like, don't get used to this. <laughs> so what do you mean? He said, it's not... Um, he said, this is probably... This, this is the biggest premiere I've ever seen on a British film, uh, certainly within our, our you know, circle. Wow. okay. And, and your um, first movie. I was like, no, they're all going to be like that. And, yeah. you know, they... They uh, just the way the industry changes and the, and the movies that you make and and, and how they get released. Um, that was definitely the biggest I've had thus far. Yeah, so it was yeah. a it was a great memory, you know. Yeah. Um, so then Green Street Three comes along. Yeah. 
so let's talk about this. So, so yeah, yeah. What was so obviously a franchise movie? Um, were you a fan of the first two films? So I'd seen, I hadn't seen the second one actually. Yeah, I'd seen the first one, um, and I'd AD'd on a hooligan movie. Yeah. So I'd had experience with dealing with uh, like a hundred screaming guys. Yeah, um, and I knew there was production value in it. Yeah, because I'd worked on those movies and I'd seen, you know the production value you could get out of these elements and also there's like a kind of something in London or something in Brit- in British people when it comes to will you come and be a supporting artist on a hooligan movie there's some sort of raw thing in a guy that's yeah. just like how long will I be there two hours can I have a beer maybe maybe not <laughs> well what do I have to do you just have to scream alright yeah I'm coming yeah, I do you that. know so I knew that there'd be a draw to getting the supporting artists combined with the fact that it was a franchise movie but it was pitched as like a rebrand of Green Street so originally it was called Green Street, Green Street Hooligans Underground ah sure so there was okay. actually and no that was on the branding as well yeah and even from on the clapperboard and everything there yeah. was no three sure so the idea was the way it was pitched to me was that we were going to use the name Green Street but actually we were going to make something that kind of existed in that world but was a, like a re the genre completely yeah because it was new characters wasn't it and it was very much a different there's nothing vibe. other than the name of the pub the abbey yeah there's nothing the same in the movie yeah um, and I signed up for it on the thinking that okay well I'm being given a franchise here to reboot there's no three on it because I didn't really have a burning desire to go into sequels yeah um, but um, you know I knew I'd get a great release I knew there was production value in Hooligans, and I knew how to make it. So I just thought, okay, now if we can get a good star, like let's let's do this. Yeah, and that's what it hinged on. Then was it was it very much like you know who's going to lead on this? Yeah, and then it's a goer completely yeah. because what there was no point in making the same movie again. Yeah, like so many Hooligan movies are made. Green Street is obviously the original, or one of the. In fact, it's not the original. What am I talking about? Sorry, ID and um, the firm and. All There's these a movies. rich sort of stream of uh, sort of British subgenre of these types of films, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, a, a huge, hugely. And somebody worked out, you know, about five or six years ago that hooligan movies sell really well in supermarkets. Yeah. Um, which is why you see a new one every three to six months. Yeah. You know, and even if you go and look you won't be able to prove me wrong <laughs> yeah it's, that's interesting though right yeah because yeah. there's something in English in English people we just love a hooligan movie yeah. we love football the love of the game etc but did Green, Green Street did maybe the first one had I mean did it have much of an international following as well yeah then? it was a big movie the first one was called The Yank sure and it was set to be about a journalist it was a focus on a journalist going undercover yeah so the hooligan element just sort of was coming into it as opposed to like the basis of it yeah for, to my knowledge it's a, it was a success it was one of the yeah and then I think Green Street 2 came out which I never I hadn't seen um, I saw it when people started to talk about Green Street 3 as a, or Green Street Hooligans Underground as, a, as an, an opportunity but I hadn't ever seen it before so I had assumed it was just in the same vein, yeah. uh, hooligan movie. But when I did see it, I was surprised actually because it, it's although it's supposed to be in England, they've shot it in kind of like Mexico. Yeah, used these Mexican hooligans, and, sure. And it really got slated yeah. um, by the fans. However, it was the best-selling DVD title, straight to DVD title for Lionsgate, I think ever. Yeah, 
I think it's their best selling ever. So even today, I mean, uh, straight to DVD. Yeah. I'm glad you're back, Danny. I need someone to lead us back to the top. Tell us about your brother. Somebody knows what happened to my brother. And what I'm going to find out is if I get back in. Good luck with that. You've worked even as an AD, predominantly in, I guess you'd call them genre films anyway, whether yep. that's horror movies or uh, action movies or, you know, martial arts films. Um, I guess from a director, what's kind of reassuring is that you know that there's, uh, there's almost an established audience for this type of film. Yes. So is that reassuring or is that sort of added pressure because you, you, you've sort of, you know, fans can be you know, pretty uh, opinionated as well. I, I think it's great there's an audience for it because, you know, I'm not just making the movie for me. Yeah. You know, I'm not just spending a million pounds upwards on making something that I can go just home and watch on a weekend. <laughs> yeah. You know, I like the challenge of trying to entertain an audience. Yeah. Um, and I read the reviews, good and bad, and I, mm. I, I don't really, I don't let them affect me, but I do sort of try to learn from them if, yeah. if I can. Yeah. You know, I, I love independent cinema. I love, like, maybe more artistic cinema. I haven't made a movie like that yet. Yeah. I probably will one day. Yeah. I've, got them, I've got them swirling around in my head. Yeah. But, you know, fundamentally, I, I made... When I make the movies, I like making sure the movies, and I, and I want people to see them. And yeah. I want people to watch it and enjoy it. When you secured Scott Adkins for that movie, you must have known, you know, this is... No, this is the guy. This is the guy. We need to carry this. Yeah, we were really fortunate to to do that at the time. And what happened was, me and Scott um, set up a phone call. The script at the time was called Green Street. In fact, it wasn't called Green Street. It was just called Submission. Then the script was really solid. Yeah, really great. Probably better than the script we've got actually. Yeah, okay. But um, it was a good script, and it was the first draft. And we. Colin Jones again who did Tower Block cast up Green Street 3 he made the connection with Scott's uh, people um, and he lives up in uh, Birmingham or Sutton Coalfield I think or somewhere yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. so he came down for the day and met me and we had like a two hour chat and I fanboyed out you know because I, I <laughs> you'd had seen, seen a few of his movies yeah I'd seen yeah. Boyka you know yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'd seen Undisputed 3 sure and, yeah uh, I was a, you know so and I knew what he could do. Yeah. I was going over to Fantastic Fest in Texas for, for Tower, Tower Blocks yeah. pre- American premiere and Scott was going over to the same festival for what's the movie he was doing? He makes so many films. It was it's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which was That's a, a great movie actually. Yeah, I'm a, a big movie. fan of that film. Yeah. So I went to the American premiere of yeah. that and I sat with John Himes who directed yeah, yeah. it. A great, again, fantastic guy, nice yeah. guy. Gave me some great advice. And um, so we were there like, and I think I downplayed my movie to John certainly. Like John invited me to his premiere on the Friday night and I watched it and I, me and Scott kind of started to develop more of a friendship yeah. as well as we didn't really talk shop because I said, you know, I think one of the first questions was like, what's going on with the movie? And I was like, I, nothing at the minute. It's happening, but I haven't got any info for you. Sure. But we got to know each other. In fact, we actually shared a cab from the plane. We were the only people that got off on, from London. Yeah. Um, and we were standing in the airport waiting for a cab. We both had individual cabs and we looked at each other and like, hey, 
hey, you know, there was this really sort of sweet moment. That's a sort of divine moment there, yeah. isn't it? It's just like, uh, and you I, know. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm waiting for my cab. And I was like, well, how long have you been here? He was like, 10 minutes. So I was like, well, jump in my cab. So, yeah. And I did say, like, come and see my movie tomorrow night, you know. Yeah, and I yeah. think I downplayed it because I was only 25. And yeah. I was a little bit like, you know, I'm a little bit weird. I was like, you know, come. Anyway, John came the next day and couldn't believe it. He fucking loved the movie. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah but cool. he was... He was like, you told me it was going to be this small little movie, man. I fucking love your movie. So um, when we left, it was like case, kind of a case of, well, look, you know, if the movie happens, we both want to do it. We both want to work with each other. Sure. So it's just a case of when it went. How much directing does he need? Obviously, Joey Anser was the fight choreographer on that, yeah. that film as well. So I guess from, well, I don't know. I mean, do you, are you in there with the, when they're doing all the action scenes and stuff? You, uh, uh, I have a, more of an opinion on, um, like, Joey did the choreography yeah. for um, Green Street 3, did a great job. Yeah. We were up against the wall time-wise on that movie yeah. uh, because the problem is we're doing five-on-five fights. So it's not just like filming a two-man fight. You're filming 10 people in a ring. Sure, yeah. Uh, and Joe did a really good job at keeping it wide enough and keeping there enough energy there. Did you find that was quite a big of a post-production learning curve when you were piecing those fight scenes together? Um, like, I'm all for cutting to make things faster and stuff. Yeah. But when you're dealing with Scott, you know, he's one of the best on-screen fighters in the world right now. Sure. And he was back then as well. And... If you've got the best fighter in the world, why are you going to cut him up? Yeah. You know, just yeah. to, you know, it's like having Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan. Yeah. If they can do it, fucking Let show me it. it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, one thing that I sort of knew from looking at the way Scott operated, which I'd seen in Isaac Fontaine's movies, like the Undisputed movies, mm-hmm. and from talking with Scott, Scott was like a big fan of trying to stay wide, showing the dance of it all. Sure. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I did want to mix close-ups and wide. Yeah. But I was quite happy. To, I'm quite happy to watch him do like a 10, 20 beat fight sequence yeah. because he can do it and he can land a punch that's you know a centimeter away from someone's face. And yeah. Providing that other person sells the reaction, you know, it'll look really, it look as good as real as yeah. You know, as opposed to super making these fights super cutty. Yeah. Um, so that was discussed between me, Scott, and Joey early on as well as a style. Did you like the movie? The way it worked, the way it worked out. You yeah, I'm really pleased. It opened up a lot of doors for me. Yeah. It gave me a, a good reputation around yeah. um, London for sure. Yeah, um, because I we you know I won't say how much money we had, but we had barely any money in there. Mm. I don't know if Scott would have done it if we hadn't become friends. Um, and really, what I tried to do was something very different. Yeah, you know, I really tried to make something that wasn't super English. Trying to make something that polished, trying to make something very 80s. Yeah. Like it was really a love letter to all the Rocky movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had an amazing soundtrack as well, that movie. It was very, yeah. Yeah, very thank you. Well, guys called Bob and Barm did the score. Yeah. And they were really fantastic work to um, look forward to the day when I can have them on another score. Yeah. They came from doing computer games in the 90s. Fine. So okay. they were ideal for that kind of, yeah. like, big boss. Like, I wanted every. I wanted every fight to feel like you were going up a level in a computer game, which is why, you know, you're the big boss at the end was so tall, because sure. I wanted to feel like level 10 boss. Yeah. Eliminators. Yes. So, got to work with Scott again. Yeah. 
Um, WWE Studios is the the production company involved in that movie and some, several of the others that you're working on now. Yeah. Um, so how did that relationship form then? So uh, a producer Pitt, who was uh, negotiating um, a couple of movies deal with WWE at the time. Mm-hmm. They're based in LA, but this producer was based in, in London. Um, pitched Eliminators to me as like a British taken. Would I like to re-team with Scott Adkins? Um, because we'd obviously prove, proven quite su- successful with um, Green Street 3. So would we like to re-team? And um, basically the bad guy will be one of their wrestlers. Uh, sure. And they did say it would be Wade Barrett. Yeah. Even at that you pitch. Knew that, that, that so I knew like, it at yeah. that very first. So I said, I mean, WWE is a global brand. Yeah. And I say, well, yeah, you know, if this isn't bullshit, then I'm definitely interested yeah. <laughs> because, you know, a, a, a lot of things get said around yeah. town and it's like, is this really real? And I said, if, look, if this is real, if you can hook up the phone call and, it, you know, I'm totally up for it. Like, I think that'd be great. Yeah. I love working with Scott and WWE give their movies good pushes. So yeah. why wouldn't I be interested? So um, I expressed interest and, and sure enough, I, you know, they set me up with the phone call um, to WWE and it all became very real. Yeah. And then um, we kind of got to work on it. So, so how long was the shoot for that, that movie? Four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. Okay. Same as Green Street and Tower Block. That's kind of average, would you say then, for... For a low-budget movie, four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. yeah. Um, but four weeks in England can be a six-day week, whereas four weeks in America is probably only a five-day week. So you're talking 20 days versus 24 days. Sure, okay. And that can make all the difference. Well, right, four days is, you know, yeah. four more days on a fight. Yeah. Or fighting. <laughs> um, so the, yeah, my first three movies, Tower Block, Green Street, and um, Eliminators were 24 days. Yeah, wow, yeah. okay. What I love about these, these movies as well is that you're filming in London. Green Street 3, yes, but particularly Eliminators, you'd somehow got a fight on the bloody sky, uh, what's that cars. called, the cable car? Yeah, yeah. How the hell did you manage that? So, I've, I'd always wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, and I, initially, when I first read the script, it was just a... He just jumped in the cable cars to get to the other side of the river. Sure. And I was like, guys, this is like... Golden opportunity. No one's done this yet. You know, yeah. and you, you know James Bond hasn't done it. Um, you know, no one's done a fight on these cable cars yeah. yet. We, we can actually do something kind of unique and original here. Yeah. So we went back and forward with the scriptwriters, um, Bobby and Nathan, and one of the development guys, Richie, at WWE. And we're like, well, how are we going to do it? And we came up with this idea of there's two guys in the cab and they get uh, who actually two guys from Green Street 3 um, and they get uh, kind of yelled at by the guy chasing him if you knock he him gives out him money give him some money so he's constantly kind of under threat so yeah. we liked the idea we agreed on the idea and we went we went with it and I said look well so I told my, my producers were like well how the fuck are we going to do this and I yeah. said well one we're going to do it we're going to do it I don't care how we do it we're going to do it and two we're going to do it in one shot as well yeah the first so that thing. isn't because it's not you're not doing the exterior shots you've got the chase scene and then you somehow get a cable car you film that bit separately you you are actually on location doing all of that yeah yeah crazy yeah is it like three in the morning then or so how did you um, do it um we had we were allowed in the cable car on the platform 
for an hour, I think, when there were when it was in operation. Yeah. And then we had it to an hour, for, which was just us. Yeah. So we only had two hours on the platforms, wow. which is not a lot of time. It's a film, uh, and it's a complicated yeah. fight scene. But we had six hours, I think, with the uh, actual cap. Sure, okay. So we had longer with you the had cap. A bit, okay, fine. Yeah, so we, it, it was a day's worth of filming, really, yeah. uh, including the exterior sides. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot to film in one day. It's sure. very ambitious. It was a challenging shoot then, Eliminators, was it? Yeah, it really was. Again, it was in the winter months. Oh, no. Uh, was it the winter or was it a night shoot? I can't even remember when we shot it. Yeah, uh, no, it was the autumn. It was sure. autumn. So it was like August. I think it was like um, October. And it was cold. And yeah. we we're doing. And it was all night shoots. I love shooting at night. Yeah. Um, and where, where I've shot movies in London for the past you know 10 years whether they be as a first idea or as a director I know a lot of these little spots now yeah. that kind of not a lot of people know or you know we've done on lower budget movies and I thought right well this is the time to kind of utilise those sure sure I guess there is a there's an issue with because the British aren't known for making martial arts films or action films really yeah. as, as a genre um and there's certain barriers in the sense of like, which I think you, in the films you've done, have worked around really quite well, uh, is that believability aspect of like, you know, our cops don't go around with guns, as yeah. you say. So it's a challenge, isn't it, I guess, trying to come up with legitimate narratives and situations where you can set these action scenes. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you want, you know, you want it to be have a certain amount of realism mm. for people to engage and believe in it yeah and it's probably going back to Jurassic Park you know it's sci-fi craziness that, you know that still doesn't exist but there was a reality there was a, it was grounded in science and reality and yeah so you know I, I agree with the London stuff you've got to try and work it to you can get guns on the black market so guns don't not exist exactly in, in London yeah. but you know the police don't have them no. so don't give a policeman a gun you know how does Jason Bourne get away with it I'm pretty sure that in Mission Impossible and those movies Jason Bourne Jack Reacher that, that kind of big budget when they come to London they probably have guns yeah. how did they do it you know yeah so kind of look at stuff like that. Do you reference, you would reference the, uh, those types of films in, in something like this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a big genre movie fan, as yeah. we've said, and I watch everything at the cinema and I watch all these you know, big budget sort of Hollywood stuff because that's kind of ultimately where I'd like to be. Yeah. Like London Has Fallen, for example. Sure. I mean, everyone had a gun in that movie. I don't yeah, think, yeah. I don't know if in America they really question it because in America guns are part of culture. You know, they, most people have one have know someone with one or yeah, yeah. you know maybe that's well, too, gen too much of a generalisation really? yeah. but yeah gun like in England we have knife crime in yeah. America they have gun crime sure so it's just it's kind of easier and when it comes down to logistics it's easier to film a gunfight than it is to film a, a knife fight or a fist fight yeah, because yeah, yeah. you can shoot someone from far away you can yeah. put a digital muzzle flash on it sure when you shoot someone up close having a knife fight they have to connect yeah. you have to have a special prop that looks like it yeah. you have to put a blood rig on someone you know it can all be done in visual effects but they're just we sort of as a culture we just don't really make action movies the same way that America do yeah um which our nearest thing to an action movie is probably a hooligan movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Daddy, what happened to your face? Nothing's right here. 
what are the challenges that you that you face at the moment? You know, in just getting people to to see a movie like Eliminated, say. Um, I mean, the great, you know, kind of what I've picked with Green Street and Eliminators is things with fan bases. Mm. You know, so with like WWE, for example, they have three hundred sixty four events a year, which is one every night but Christmas, I think. Yeah, um, and they can advertise all their movies for free on the screens at those events sure. they've got like four tv channels yeah. they've got like a whole app they can advertise all their stuff at, for free or a cheaper cost because it's all within that that world yeah so you know people are going to see it which is great exposure of, in the long term because uh, you know your movie gets out there sure when you have when you don't have that you have to rely on like word of mouth or commercials or film festivals film festivals yeah. putting posters on buses things like that yeah, yeah. and certainly you know, with the lower budget end of movies, a lot of movies don't make that much money at the cinema, if any money. A lot of that money kind of goes to just the showing, the distributors, and um, sure. And not actually much of it goes to the cinema. The cinema make a lot of that money, their money on popcorn and things like that. Yeah. So if they're going to advertise a big market and spend to put it in the cinema, you know, they, they should, they're going to have to go quite big to get mm. you there. Mm. Um, and, but if they can only afford to advertise once, they're probably not going to put it in the cinema. They're probably going to go straight to DVD because yeah. they're better to spend all their money in one big hit as sure. opposed to divide it up into cinema and DVD yeah. and have like kind of small um, impact. So, But where the films used to... I mean, we're seeing more you know movies now in particularly in this sort of uh price bracket i guess uh, uh, being streamed online uh dvd sales you know aren't what they used to be um are you concerned and like does that have an impact then on the sort of movies that you you want to make because it must do if the money's not coming in necessarily from the dvd sales you know and it's being lost over in online piracy or mm. streaming services um you know, surely that will impact on your budgets. It will impact on the budget. It it won't impact in the projects that I pick because mm. what, I'm pick, what I pick off generally now is the script. Mm. So um, obviously, one would hope that the budget will be high on the script that I pick. Sure, but that would be that's kind of I don't really. Whilst I factor there being an audience in the end of the movie, I don't necessarily make the movie because I know people. Are, you know, two million people are going to see it. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, with regards to those other points that you said, you know, piracy is terrible for low-budget movies yeah. because every time you know we make a film, every time Scott makes a movie and then it gets pirated, the distributors pull money in making the next one because they're like, well, we lost, we didn't, maybe they didn't lose, maybe they did lose, but they certainly lost a chunk of what they would have made. Sure. So the next movie has less of a budget because everyone pirated the last one rather yeah. than bought it. So. That affects the industry, certainly on a low budget level. But the industry's changing as well. You know, um, Netflix and Amazon Prime and Now TV and things like that are so affordable versus going to the cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, you pay a one off, you pay the probably less for the, for a one month subscription than you do to go to the cinema. It's one crazy, ticket. isn't it? Yeah. Um, that they are now starting to kind of have a lot of uh, sway with what you know is made as well so yeah. i think probably in the future you'll see a lot more original content not just tv shows which is obviously the in thing yeah but i think you know netflix i mean i know they already have started to do that netflix and amazon but 
you know, you'll see a lot more content coming from them. Yeah. Film-wise, etc. And they'll have the data to support a lot of the, you know, where they need to be investing. So if Scott Adkins, say, is getting, you know, everyone's searching for Scott Adkins films on Netflix and the demand is there, you know, they've got the resources to sort of put money into these projects yeah. as well that they know will have an established audience. Absolutely. Yeah. So they, you know, that that isn't... a Because probably the, the people that Pyra, uh, I imagine... I'd, uh, you know, people know not to talk about piracy near me, yeah. <laughs> um, or certainly my friends do. Sure. So, but uh, people that I imagine the pirate, they probably I would have thought they went to Netflix first. Sure, to see to see if it's on there, yeah. and then if it's not on there, they go to YouTube or one yeah. of the streaming sites or whatever they do. But um, I would assume that if you get it on Netflix, you're going to get a better quality version of it. Probably, yeah. or you know, and it comes easily through the app. You can watch for your PlayStation Telly as opposed yeah, to sitting yeah. in front of a laptop or whatever. So, I would, um, if people are doing that, and more movies do get made in that way, and yeah. more people start googling Scott on on Netflix, that actually has a great effect because then people, Netflix call up Scott and they're like, hey, "Scott, everyone's googling your name. You know, what do you want to make next? Yeah. Or we've got this other one. We want to put more money into it." So, yeah. I don't know what the future is like for those big companies. I would have thought that Warner Brothers and Fox and all of this are either going to strike deals. If they've probably already got deals with Amazon and Prime and things like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if they'll come, come out with their own apps. Uh, That's content. the way it'll be, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then they just have like Fox Prime or whatever and yeah. you go on Fox and you just end up, everyone pays a £10 subscription to all these things. I don't, I don't know, it's really interesting. And then with the lower budget end... I mean, people are always going to want to make movies, so yeah. yeah. There's and people are always going to want to watch movies, yeah. So it's not like totally depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one last question that I just want to ask: Do you have a dream project? Do you have something, you know, that you've been working on? You've been cooking up since your film school days. <laughs> is there like oh. a mood? So is there a, what, what would your dream project be? Or maybe you've read a book and you're like, this would be amazing. I, to I make have, I have dream projects every year. Sure. I probably have one that I'm like, yeah, this is the one. This is the one. And one of them is very close to being made. Cool. With Scott in the lead. Okay. Um, which I'm not going to say any more than that, but it's, that's one of them. That was my dream project from last year. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, that, uh, will come to fruition and then you my, don't want to say it out loud just no, in case I right? don't talk about things out loud sure. because then I jinx it um, and then the other one I mean do you know what the movies the movie I'd love to remake and if they're listening they'll, they, I don't think they'll currently give it to me but if they are listening I'd love to make I'd, re, I'd really love to do the remake of um, Escape from New York nice yeah okay oh, it's a classic yeah it's a classic yeah I mean, you have to. I think at some at some point you you end up doing a remake of some sort. Yeah, and, uh, it's just it, that's probably due a remake. Surely, if they're doing, they uh, are remaking it, and I know they've been talking about it for about three years. Mm. I I not to my knowledge, I'm on any kind of list for it. Sure. But if anyone out there is listening, <laughs> then um, James Lund, yeah, yeah. please uh, send off for a reel. Let me send you my reel. Yeah, and how, you know, I'd love to. I just John Carpenter's movies. Um, in the 80s again was were really sort of um inspirational is that the right thing to say (laughs) like a lot of killing and deaths but he always really like had these high concept narratives that i really enjoyed james thank you so much for your time thank you been a pleasure
yes yes there we go james none there great to talk to james i'll keep you posted on james uh james's next steps particularly that maybe that future scott adkins project that he was talking about there that sounds interesting um cool so that's just about it for this episode of the podcast i'd like to thank George Dennis for his technical support as always Uh, I keep forgetting to thank George at the end of this podcast so I do apologise to him for the hard work that he also uh, puts into this podcast which is very much appreciated Uh, remember if you like this podcast give it a star rating or leave a comment on our iTunes page let's spread the word of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast remember I'm on Twitter I'm on Facebook I am on Instagram and also on email the email is hello at kungfumovieguide.com that's about it for this episode thank you for taking the time to download and to listen to this particularly if you've made it all the way to the end that's super good thank you so much for doing that there will be another episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast in two weeks time until then take good care of yourself and I will see you next time thank you very much bye bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>